Yes. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the thoughts and things, the people and places, the ideas and ideals that make me a slave to this phrase. The things that distract me on the daily that make it literally impossible for me to show up anywhere, God forbid, early, but even on time. And I know people say on time is late, and if you don't respect my time, and why do you think your time is more valuable than mine, and so on and so forth, and I've heard it all before, and trust me, it is not personal. It is just that my curiosity and my mind, and perhaps my mouse, tends to wander until I find myself in a full-blown sprint to my destination because I budgeted my time poorly. And yes, perhaps I should get myself evaluated, and I know this is not the ideal way to be, but I've found my people through naming my company Be There in Five and, and talking about my struggle with this and communicating that I really do have the best of intentions. And, you know, if you made it to the second episode, I'm going to assume you're one of these people that gets it. And God bless you. So what's on my mind this week? Right now, today, Tuesday, I think it's what's on my mind is still what's on everybody's mind, which is the battle of the sex and the city actresses, Samantha Jones and Carrie Bradshaw, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall. This feud, I think, has shaken many because it was known that the girls maybe didn't all get along on set and that Kim Cattrall was a big reason why they weren't moving forward with Sex in the City 3. But I don't think anybody thought that the hate ran this deep. And Kim Cattrall Saturday morning posted an Instagram photo of text. Don't you love the celebrity photo of text? <laughs> it's also funny too when people that are a little bit older are trying to Instagram in her photo of text. She at Sarah Jessica Barker, but like if it's in the photo, I can't click it. There's no point in saying somebody's handle if it's if it's not a click through. Anyway, so it says, I don't need your love and support at this tragic time at Sarah Jessica Parker. And the caption says, my mom asked me today, when will that Sarah Jessica Parker, that hypocrite, leave you alone? Your continuous reaching out is a painful reminder of how cruel you really were then and now. Let me make this very clear, in all caps, dang, if I haven't already. You are not my family. You are not my friend. So I'm writing to tell you one last time to stop exploiting our tragedy in order to restore your quote unquote nice girl persona. Copy and paste link. And it is a New York Post link called Inside the Mean Girls Culture That Destroyed Sex in the City. Whew. Okay. That, okay. This is dark. This is sad. This is a PR nightmare. Not even Samantha Jones PR could overhaul. Because even though the response by Kim Cattrall seems a little unhinged, I mean, truly, how... You must hate someone so much, and they must hate you so much that you cannot fathom you feasibly, legitimately being in their thoughts and prayers to turn down those thoughts and prayers, to suggest that they are using such condolences to come up off of your tragedy. I mean, that is something very messed up and very manipulative, and to accuse SJP of doing that is pretty messed up, unless there is so much more to this story that we will ever know, which I think is the case. The problem is, I think that the, we do not know a lot of what, what went down on Sex and the City, on the production, on from the leadership at HBO. I think decisions were probably very much made in Sarah Jessica Parker's favor. I think Kim wanted to be paid more. I think she wanted more control over the script. And when she turned down Sex and the City 3, it disappointed a lot of fans. I, for one, I mean, I would have definitely paid $16 to see it. After all, I, I am a super fan, and I like to be culturally literate, and to not be able to speak to the plotline of Sex and the City 3 would be difficult for me. But I do 
think we all know it was not going to be good. There was no direction they could take this in, where they just weren't old and trying too hard and being too whiny. And I think it would have just been another trip to a foreign country with cringeworthy, politically incorrect dialogue and cultural appropriation of the country's traditional garb a la Carrie's Aladdin pants in Abu Dhabi, a la the scene where there's a woman in a burqa eating a French fry and Carrie makes fun of her, makes a spectacle. I mean, people wear burqas and they have to eat. Relax. Also, I've never been so gravely disappointed in Miranda Hobbs, the attorney, the the smart, quick-witted, level-setting character of Sex and City, the only one that is not a, a harsh stereotype like Charlotte or Samantha. When she gets in her private car in Abu Dhabi and utters the words, Abu Dhabi-doo, a la Scooby-Doo, everything she's ever worked for went down the tubes. It was so cheesy, so stupid. It wasn't even like topical or relevant or interesting. Scooby-Doo, are you kidding me, Freddie Prince Jr.? Beyond just the generally tone-deaf screenplay, the part that I don't feel like people talk about enough is how poor of a choice. The, the one time we get to see all four gals doing my favorite drunken activity, karaoke, they choose the song I Am Woman. Now, maybe this was a, a big hit in its heyday, but I needed something with more oomph. I needed something that built. I, I needed a, I don't know, a you-don't-own-me moment. And I know the First Wives Club already immortalized that song perfectly in that empowering and glorious scene that taught young women everywhere that you don't need a man. That that was such a memorable, empowering moment for me. And I probably saw that movie when I was 10 years old. But I was, you know, there sitting on the couch being like, and don't tell me what to do. It was, it gives me goosebumps to this day. Anyway, the karaoke scene truly, truly bothered me. It was a, a real opportunity for a girl power moment that I thought they missed. Anyway, is it really such a crime that Kim Cattrall didn't support the script or the project or her compensation for the third movie of a franchise she may have perceived to be tired and she wants to move on with her life? I get it. I know I'm trying to take a step back from how the media is uh, presenting women. I'm trying to transcend the stereotypes being pushed down my throat and think about things such as quote-unquote diva behavior. There's Behavior that is demanding and is inconsiderate and that treats people poorly and that is irrational. And then there is behavior that is firm, that is following up on things that were already asked for. There is ensuring that you get what you deserve based on the work you put in or your tenure or your experience or wanting to be equitable to other people that are putting in the same amount of work. That is not diva behavior. And if it is the latter, then, you know, shame on everybody for painting her to be this sort of greedy, difficult cast member. Because what could actually be happening is that two coworkers just don't really like each other. Think of all the people you work with that are literally the bane of your existence and you never want to see after you clock out. I had so many of those that I just didn't want to spend time with personally. And I think as viewers, we all fantasize about casts being close friends offset. And not everybody can be like the friends. Not everybody can be Rachel Ross Monica and the gang who are perfect. And if they weren't friends, I would actually die. But I really don't think the Sex and the City girls were that close. And that's okay. But I think that they tried to hide it for the duration of the franchise because it was it would support the show to think that they were thick as thieves. But this theory is far too mild for where we are now. This exchange is, is severe, and it is could ultimately be damaging, and she's really clearly trying to attempt to turn the public's favorable perception of SJP on its head. I mean, as if Sarah Jessica Parker hadn't already stolen the hearts of America with her portrayal of Sarah Sanderson in Hocus Pocus pre-Sex in the City, post-Sex in the City, her career 
continued to take off. Carrie Bradshaw was projected on her in every character she played, and people just loved her. She starred in fine films such as Failure to Launch, and I don't know how she does it. Both films that I saw alone, and I had a great time. And Kim Cattrall, on the other hand, you know, I will say there is one particular project in which Kim C does come out on top, and that is she was hand-selected by Britney Spears pre-mental breakdown to star in the 2002 coming-of-age film that gave us I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, entitled Crossroads. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, you would have thought Kim would have stepped in during the I Am Woman karaoke scene in Sex and the City 2, given that she had already lived through a truly horrifying karaoke scene from the previous movie Crossroads, in which Britney Spears sings a terrible rendition of I Love Rock and Roll to get enough money to fix her car so she can go to Los Angeles and follow her dreams. That was not a great choice. I remember being a, you know, 15-year-old girl and thinking, couldn't she have sung something cool like Destiny's Child? You sing a, a Say My Name and No Scrubs? That, realistically to me, in 2002, is what would make me make it rain into your tip hat at a karaoke bar. I just didn't think she could pull off Joan Jett. Does, was that really her inspiration? Does Britney Spears really, in fact, love rock and roll? These are the things that keep me up at night. I just have a funny feeling that one Britney Spears did not channel the songwriting and singing of legend Joan Jett to write and perform songs with lyrical genius. For example, sometimes I run, sometimes I hide, sometimes I'm scared of you. Well, that's a red flag if I ever heard one. But all I really want is to hold you tight, treat you right, be with you day and night. Baby, all I need is time. You know what? I take that back. That is poetry. I do feel like at one point I too danced under a pier and cut off shorts pretending to be Britney Spears in the Sometimes video, so I, I shouldn't make fun of her. She is an icon. I was trying to think about where and how my perceptions were formed about these two. So I did remember one piece of press that was semi-recent, which was um, Michelle Collins, who is a comedian that was on The View, and she also did one season of The Bachelor in Paradise after show, which I thought was so funny, and I can't believe they didn't do that again. But anyway, in a, a stand-up routine she did, probably, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, she claimed she had emails that were written by Sarah Jessica Parker and that her friend gave her that was on her staff at one point or something like that. And the directions were so specific and the media really painted her as being kind of uh, high maintenance and demanding and asking ridiculous things of her staff. So one example is she told her staffers to refill a tiny uh, 1.75 ounce container of Vaseline with a small spoon or knife for her children's use and stresses that the refill jar not be too big so as not to clutter the house. She also requested uh, a bottle of face wash, a Neutrogena body wash to be continually replenished for her son James Wilkie in his shower, but she likes to be efficient with supplies, so she insists that the staff not buy multiples of anything and prefers them to check the levels of each product daily, replacing only once the product has completely run out. And she also did things like instructing the, when the children had pink eye, how they should blink when they're given eye drops, etc. Now, people really ripped this apart, uh, making her sound crazy. But when I read this, I thought, wait, this, this is a story? Like, what's the big deal? To me, this sounds like somebody who loves their children and who's had staff before that just didn't do things right. So instead of hoping for the best, she's just being very specific about what she wants. Like I, I would do the exact same thing. And I think it's respectable that she doesn't want to stockpile. Have you seen extreme couponers? The, the consumer packaged goods those people hoard in their garages is, is disturbing and wasteful. And 
I get. If, if I had the ability to have people replenish things as they run out, I would definitely only keep one of everything. I would not Costco it up. Rich people are not going wholesale prices. They're good. It is kind of random, though, that she name drops both Vaseline and Neutrogena, and they published it. What if this was like one big organic marketing ploy? That's kind of a great idea to have a celebrity who doesn't care positive or negative gets breasts and then to drop your brand names in. If they had the same ownership, uh, we, we would need to be investigating a conspiracy. But I'm pretty sure Vaseline is owned by Unilever. And Neutrogena is Johnson & Johnson. And the only reason I know that is because I used to work with CBG companies and I would study those webs of ownership and subsidiaries. And it's honestly a, a very cool party trick, a very hip thing to talk about at, at social gatherings is what parent companies own various CPG subsidiaries. It blows people's mind. For example, Kiehl's, owned by L'Oreal. Uh, when I first heard this, I was like, you mean to tell me that the, uh, there is the same owner of Midnight Recovery Concentrate that costs $73 is also the same owner as the company that thought it was a good idea to make a commercial about damaged hair making a comeback and use Winona Ryder as the metaphorical equivalent of damaged hair making a comeback, suggesting she is damaged and coming back because of Stranger Things and referring to the damage that was done, I assume, as when she shoplifted in a Saks Fifth Avenue. Did she see the the screenplay or the 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 dialogue that, of, that was going to be on screen while she dramatically turned around with her luscious locks? Did she know she was going to be called damaged? I just can't imagine she would sign up for that. But anyway, yes, L'Oreal owns Kiehl's. The other reason I think I can relate to SJP here is because I have a document entitled Tugboat 101. My dog, Tugboat, is a four or five page PDF detailing his quirks and likely scenarios so that while I'm gone, you are prepared to navigate the waters of my absolutely crazy dog. And I just want to read you a couple excerpts because if you read this objectively, should I ever skyrocket to fame and somebody gets their paws on this here document, I might sound a little kooky. Tugboat. Food. This section is long because he's very weird eating habits. Sometimes he won't eat till three. Sometimes he eats all day. We don't know what his deal is. So I provided you some options. Typically, he eats twice a day. But he's kind of inconsistent about how much and when. He kind of grazes, and I do give him a lot of treats. We're trying to get him to eat dog food, so we're weaning him off chicken. Ha ha. I love the ha ha. Like, I'm cool. I gave you a big Costco thing of vacuum-packed chicken pieces. Break this up and heat it up for 15 to 20 seconds and put it on twice a day over the kibble. Best case scenario, he eats the kibble, put it out at 9, 1, and 6 to see if he'll eat it. What will probably happen, he won't touch it. Then he'll stalk you every time you eat human food. Do not doubt its determination. He once took a chicken tender out of my mouth. The slightly embarrassing solution is to try and feed him kibble from your hand. Sometimes he just forgets he doesn't hate it. But if you still won't eat any kibble, NBD, just feed him the warm chicken. You could try to supplement some veggies with the canned pumpkin I included. Again, you may have to try from your hand, especially because his bowl is in a new place and he has trouble finding his bowl even in our house. <laughs> that, like... That is absurd, but the reason I did that is because instead of texting all week and explaining all of these caveats, I just wanted it done right the first time. So I was saying, try this, and then this, and then if all else fails, try this. Because when he doesn't eat, he's cranky, and when he's cranky or barking, I don't want to text being like, your dog's being unruly. Because I've had some nightmare rover dog sitting situations where they're like, um, your dog like is not house trained. And I'm like, did you take him outside? And they're like, well, it was like negative five, and he was kind of cold, so he wouldn't go. Nadu he's gonna go in the house if he doesn't ever go outside you gotta wait you gotta put his booties on you gotta put his adorable sweater collection on he has a finer set of cable knit turtlenecks than I do he is a king he is my 
uh, the light of my life and my worst nightmare. He he is he is this adorable stuffed animal Muppet baby that uh, steals food out of my mouth and sleeps on my head and has maybe taught me the definition of conditional love, but I, I wouldn't trade him for the world. And speaking of Tugboat, if he ever chimes in on this podcast, you know, we're not at the level yet where I'm at a sound booth. I'm, I'm on my floor. I Sometimes I put a comforter over my head if people are being loud, and I desperately want one of those red lights like Jesse Katsopoulos had when he was downstairs in the basement in Full House um, doing his his radio show Rush Hour Renegades and the red light told the family like don't come downstairs we're live and as much as I've tried to reiterate to my husband into tugboat you know shut your pie hole I'm on I'm live on the airwaves I am not live I can edit this out but I don't have editing skills <laughs> so uh, however many death stares I give uh, sometimes you can still hear a door or cough or a bark and for that I'm sorry and I always see people in podcast reviews be like the sound quality sucks one star and like I get that the sound quality is important, but we're running a a lean operation here. This mic was $120 and that almost set me over. So bear with me until I get better equipment. Anyway, that should conclude my Sex in the City talk. I, I felt it was important. The show was such an important part of popular culture from 1997 to, what, 2004 when it ended. I mean, I tuned out after Alexander Petrovsky, but, I mean, let's be honest, I didn't even watch it in real time. I think most people my age started watching the decade following, so it even feels more recent in our hearts and minds because I was definitely not allowed to watch that. And my parents would never have paid for a premium subscription movie channel nor should they. It is ridiculous that HBO puts out such good shows yet thinks they deserve $15 a month. That is ridiculous. That I can't get on board with. And that I will gladly share somebody's password and like Venmo you a few bucks if you want to share it with me. Speaking of, do you remember when the Disney Channel was subscription-based only? And like you only had a few exclusive friends with access to it. So you would kind of strong arm sleepovers so you could enjoy their premium content. Did anybody else do that? I, you know, I shouldn't complain. There are some kids that really grew up in dire conditions and did not have cable, which, oof, so much of what formed me as a person was the shows I watched. And I know that that might sound depressing or wrong, but I think for some people it really is an outlet and it spurs their creativity. And it's interesting to see how different people and characters live outside of the microcosm that they grow up in. So I think TV is fine under a lot of circumstances. It doesn't always have to rot your brain. And, you know, I always kept one thumb on the last or return button in in case my parents came in when I was watching the real world, because I learned everything I know in life from the real world. I learned about HIV. I learned about drinking problems. I learned about jumping into pools naked. I learned about the town of Walla Walla, Washington, a small town that without Tanya... And her deeply, deeply troubling past of kidney stones, that small glorious town would have never been on my radar. I learned about Mormons through Julie from New Orleans. I realized everything I wanted to be and more through Cameron from San Diego, who, thank God, has graced our screens again on Southern Charm. What a gem of a human she is. If you don't watch Southern Charm, whew. That and Vanderpump Rules, I think, are the best shows on Bravo, even above a lot of the Housewives franchises, which is saying a lot, because that includes the Scary Island season of New York, the Alison Dubois season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the table-flipping season of New Jersey, all of it. Southern Charm, Vanderpump Rules, so much inherent drama that you cannot recreate from people that are a little closer to my age, because at this point, watching Real Housewives of New York is truly like, they're getting up there age-wise, and that's okay. I am not an age. I just don't really want to watch Sonia Morgan bend over sans undergarments in a Marie Antoinette-inspired 
get up. I don't really need to watch women pushing 60 falling down drunk in a bush, though I gladly will for seasons and seasons to come. I will follow these women until they are octogenarians because the New York franchise is hands down, no questions asked, the absolute best. That's probably a topic for a different day too. Anyway, I know that we should be present and we should be exercising and we should be outside and we should be interacting with each other. And there's so many things that are better than watching TV. And I get that. But there are also, life has ups and downs. Life has quiet moments. Life has moments where you can't always be talking and interacting and doing something that's optimal for your health or your brain. And shows have kept me comfortable and entertained and kept me company my whole life. And it's like hanging out with an old friend when you sit down and watch reruns of a show you love. And I I don't think that's something to be written off. I don't like when people minimize the importance of entertainment to somebody. And going back to my point earlier, Kids Without Cable, not having the Disney Channel, I think that was the real turning point for me because all of a sudden, one day, this appropriate for kids content appeared on my television and I got the Torkelsons, even Stevens, That's So Raven, Lizzie McGuire. I hate cartoons, so I would sooner turn off the TV than watch, you know, Kim Possible or The Proud Family. But I argue their importance is proven in the recent surge of smart home appliances in Alexa. I mean, Alexa is literally the original idea of Smart House. Oh my gosh, she just went off. I hate when that happens. Um, Smart House was a fantastic film. It had that lady from Married with Children. It was creepy and it was cool and it was kind of aspirational. And when I was a kid, the idea of like winning a sweepstakes or a contest felt oddly within my reach. Now I realize everything is a scam. But I, I, I might argue that that was my top DCOM acronym for Disney Channel original movie. Actually, no. I think Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century, Xenon the sequel was pretty good too. And I think that holds a place in my heart because uh, when I, the night I met my husband, he made a reference to Protozoa, which is the lead singer of the fake band Microbe in Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. And the first text he ever sent me said simply, zoom, 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 which if you know what I'm talking about, swoon, swoon, swoon. <laughs> I don't know. I also really liked... Uh, what else did I? I? I didn't like the Johnny Tsunamis, the the, the Brink, the Motocrossed, even though Eric Von Denton was huge in my household. My sister loved Eric Von Denton so much when she was 16 years old. This is a true story. She tried to get a license plate of her 1990 gold Honda Civic to say Lovin' E-V-D. Lovin' Eric Von Denton. A 16-year-old. Thank God my parents stepped in. I Truly, the, the, uh, my sister Kelly, she has so many funny stories of the things that are similar to this nature, but that that is how big DCOMs were in my house. And I called my mom Marnie often because there was a character in Halloween Town named Marnie, and I thought it sounded like mommy. And I know that's kind of embarrassing to say, but I still call my mom Marnie sometimes. And I just thought back to Halloween Town this year when it was on TV, and I realized, huh, this isn't as good as I thought it was. And the guy that plays the warlock is also the same, uh, like, journalist villain from House of Cards, and my world's just really over-colliding. I also liked uh, uh, Rip Girls, the surfing one, speaking of uh, famous people now that were in DCOMs. That was Camilla Bell's uh, premier acting role, I think. And really, she had eyebrows strong eyebrows way before Cara Delevingne hit the scene and good for her because there was probably a lot of pressure on her to make those more Caterpillar-like. And she is the inspiration for Taylor Swift's song Better Than Revenge. And when I think, okay, Taylor Swift 
some of her songs from when she was less famous and when people weren't speculating about her lyrics as much, they are savage. They, they, the one about Camilla Bell, their lyric goes, she's not a saint. She's not what you think. She's an actress, but she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Like that is rude. That is slut shaming. That she should, she would be take, burned at the stake at the Amber Rose and Black China Slut Walk in West Hollywood, which is a, a very, very important philanthropic effort. But that aside, I I also, what were the, I also really liked, what was that one? Oh, the 13th year, the one where he turns into like a fish or a merman. Like there was a time where Disney kind of tried to pivot to more important issues. The color of friendship. I think that was about the apartheid. And I, you know, as a youngster, I wasn't really that concerned with South Africa yet, even though obviously that's a very important time in the world's history. But I was way more interested in a everyday 13-year-old slow transition into a merman. So I guess all of these things are just very sensory to me. And so, you know, once it got to become Wendy Wu homecoming queen, no, Wendy Wu homecoming warrior, Wendy Wu homecoming warrior. That's when I started to tune out. That's when I think I got a little old. And then there was a resurgence when High School Musical came around because I freaking love High School Musical. It is it is high quality cheese ball. It, is, it has a great soundtrack. I didn't love the sequels. I saw them in theaters. Uh, but I, to this day, when I hear like you are the music in me, I'm just like, oh yeah, this is the stuff. This is, this is, this is high quality. And you know, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to say specifics because I don't want to embarrass him. But there was a 20-year-old male that lived in my house that was not my father um, who happened to memorize the choreography to We're All in This Together during a Disney airing that was a dance-along, who then taught me the choreography one night. And this male and I that lived in my house and had a room next to me historically, and we did not get along very well. And learning the We're All in This Together choreography made me feel like, for the first time, we were in fact, in this together. And that memory will forever be burned in my brain as two people that were way too old pretending to be wildcats. And it, it showed when we stand hand in hand, make our dreams come true. <laughs> and you are making my dreams come true. While Troy Bolton was really only concerned with getting that University of Albuquerque scholarship, the <laughs> prestigious the famed University of Albuquerque basketball scholarship. My my big concern, my dream is honestly for you to love this podcast, uh, for to come back every week and to talk about what's going on in pop culture, in my brain, to go off on unforeseen tangents that if I had more editing skills, I would certainly remove from the broadcast. I want to keep going and keeping you company during your workday. So if you would ever be so kind as to leave me a five-star review, I would be forever grateful. I-, I won't even go to a taco truck that has a Yelp review with less than four stars, much less listen to a podcast that doesn't have five. And I'm really, I'm crossing my fingers that my parents will leave me at least two five-star reviews. But if I talk about the Kardashians, my dad will dock a star. So it's not set in stone and your support would mean the world. So I hope everybody has a great week. Next week, I'm considering tackling the topic and the mystery that is Carly Kloss's PR game. She is a supermodel who claims to be a nerd, I think in an arguably fake relationship. She Snapchats herself from NASA. She has a coding camp that I totally, totally respect. But I'm on to her because her manager is Scooter Braun, the manager of Justin Bieber, the manager of Kanye West. Girlfriend has an agenda. 
and I'm going to get to the bottom of it and also get to the bottom of if she really goes to NYU. And maybe I'll dabble in Kaler as well. If those of you follow me on Instagram, you know that is my favorite, favorite theory. So anyway, until next time, as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Bye.